It's a bit humbling to see a Google search, why are Christians so blank? A bit heart-wrenching, and maybe you can relate to people's perspectives on what the church is and what the church potentially should be. And, um, and, and, you know, it's easy for us to go, those Christians, uh, and rather than look in the mirror. And so this morning we're going to look in the mirror. And this morning we're going to unsubscribe to religiosity and uh, something that uh, Christians tend to struggle with. We didn't plan this, but like the three, str- the three things that we're unsubscribing to for our series— all are issues that typically Christians in the church struggle with. Last week, gossip. Uh, this week, religiosity. Next week, judgmentalism. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm excited to dive into what Jesus has to say. Before we jump in, I want to say a couple of things. Uh, number one, we are a church of limited resources, but we want to help in any way we can. Um, and, and so we often have people come up to us and ask, you know, uh, they have some needs and we want to help. And, and we certainly are able to do that in many cases, probably not every case. But uh, some of you guys have resources, like, and not just money, but other resources and time. And so we're trying to connect some of the people who have needs in our church to the people who have resources and have time to give and things like that. And so... Um, uh, you can check it out in your bulletin. I know nobody ever reads that, but uh, it's there. And you can kind of hop, uh, hop in the back and connect with Maddie. And, uh, and then we'll start the process of kind of connecting. And then uh, next two Sundays from now is Super Sunday. It happens to be there's a football game on that day as well. By the way, I don't know. <laughs> Last week I encouraged you guys to pray for number 15, Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs quarterback. And pray you did, Okay. <laughs> I got home, it, it, it won from here, and we were down 24 to nothing. And, and then I, some of you were texting me and stuff saying, oh gosh, we got to pray harder and stuff like that. But the Lord is good. <laughs> the Lord is good. And I'm really excited about um, our February. It starts with Super Sunday, and then it goes into You, Me, We. It's our series on marriage, dating, sex, uh, love, and it's going to be just an incredible, incredible series. Uh, picture yourself at a large urban club, and the DJ is up there, and he's dropping beats, and, uh, and he is just super into it. He's got his headphones on, and he is just jamming, but he forgot one thing, to turn on the main speakers. So it's just him, and he's just having a good old time. Or picture a postal worker, uh, and he is so proud of all the mail he carries. Big bag of mail. Look how popular I am. I have so much mail, but he's forgotten that the purpose is to deliver what he has been entrusted with. This is the case for religious Christians. Looking the part, but missing the heart. That's religiosity. Religiosity looks the part, but misses the heart. And that's the kind of, uh, you know, kind of religion we are trying to lose, trying to get rid of. It's all about love. Romans 13, 8 says this, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Isn't that a beautiful verse? There are 613 laws in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And Jesus says, whoever fulfills, whoever loves others fulfills the law. Uh, With Jesus, it's love that rules, not rules. For Jesus, it's love that rules, not rules. So how come that's not what we see in Christianity? How come when you do a Google search for why are Christians so, it's not loving, grace-filled, kind, non-judgmental, 
accepting, uh, encouraging. That, I didn't see any of those on that list. Well, we're going to look at three of the most prominent atheistic philosophers of the 19th and 20th centuries, and we're going to explore their critique on religion. And then we're going to see what it lines up with Jesus, okay? So it's going to be fun. Uh, so you need to get your thinking caps on a little bit. Okay, we're going to dive into some philosophy this morning. Uh, number one, Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud, you guys are familiar with him? His critique of religion is basically this. Religion is psychological self-justification, and it leads to self-righteousness, okay? It's, it's just self-justification, and it leads to self-righteousness. Let me expand. So uh, there was a scientific experiment of a little girl, and this little girl, whenever she did something wrong, her parents spanked her. And uh, this little girl, every time she did something wrong, she was fairly deliberate in trying to get caught. So she would leave something out. She would hint at the wrong action that she did, intuitively trying to get caught, hoping to get caught. And the parents would say, what's in there? What were you doing? And then she would admit it. She would get punished. Finally, the counselor and the parents are able to see that she's doing this, wanting to get punished for her bad actions. Now, after each punishment, the behavior didn't change. She wasn't changing a bit. In fact, she got worse. This is Freud's critique on religion. Freud would say this little girl is using her parents. She was using strict, punishing parents because I can go do whatever I want as long as I accept the punishment. I can pay for what I did as long as I'm being punished. I can continue on doing whatever I want to do. Self-justification. My conscience is clear. I've paid my debt. Freud says this is what people do in religion. They don't want to change their lives. They want to justify their lives. You guys familiar with the, the movie The Godfather? The final scene. He's, uh, the Godfather, he's, he's in, he's in, uh, he's in Catholic church, and they're doing a baptism. And uh, it's a baby's baptism. And while he is there, he's got this stone-cold look on his face because his henchmen are savagely and brutally eliminating their rivals during this moment. I pay, I do my penance, I pay my tithes, and what I've done is I've, I've created a mean punishing God who, once I've done my time, my good deeds, I'm free to go on my merry way. Religion is psychological self-justification, and the fruit of this is a smug self-righteousness or guilt and anxiety. Freud says, God didn't create you, you created God, and it's a God that you can buy. A God that you can placate by doing religious activities. Then there's Karl Marx. Marx is the one who says that religion is the opium uh, of the masses. He says, I don't see people using religion as psychological justification. I see people using religion as sociological justification. Meaning, it, it's not about justifying me, it's about justifying we. And it leads to exclusion. This, he says that we use religion to divide people. We're right, you're wrong. We're in, you're out. My nation's better than your nation. My religion's better than your nation. Uh, we're better than you. Religion is a way for people to justify liking people who look just like themselves, who believe just like themselves and excluding all others. Freud says we use religion to justify me. Marx says we use religion to justify we. Dividing lines. Psychological versus sociological. And then finally, Friedrich Nietzsche. He's the one who said God is dead. Famous. His, his critique is this. Religion is basically a power grab. Okay? And it, it, it leads to abuse. 
abuse of that power. People who are religious just want power. It's the beginning of relativism, that there's one singular, there's not one singular claim on truth. It's just a power trip. An attempt to influence people. So those are the critiques on religion by some of the most influential thinkers of the last two centuries. Freud, it's about self-justification. Marx, it's about sociological justification. And Nietzsche, it's a power grab. None of which have anything to do with Jesus, right? Uh, religiosity and religion, it's about self-righteousness, exclusion, and power. Nothing can be further from, from what Jesus was trying to do. Now, I realize I'm using the word religion in a way that some people are probably unfamiliar with, especially a pastor using it in this way. But I want, I, want to, I want to be clear about what I mean. Religion is relating to God through systems, doctrines, codes of conduct, inherited traditions, or institutions of power. The Jesus described in the Bible never refer, refers to what he came to establish as a religion. Nor does he invite people to in, join any particular organization or institution. The Bible never uses the word religion in a positive way, except for one time. James chapter 1, verse 27, it says this, Religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's real religion. That's real religion. So what does Jesus think of Freud's critique? That, re that religion leads to self-righteousness? Look at Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. It's not about self-justification. He's saying, don't pretend like you've got it all together and just don't clean the outside of this and present yourselves to people uh, as, as holy and spotless. Clean the inside. Do the hard work of making sure your heart's in the right place. What does Jesus think of Marx's exclusion? Take a look at this. Jesus cared for children, Matthew 19. Jesus talked to sinful people, Luke 7. Jesus ate with tax collectors, Matthew 2, Mark 2. Jesus touched a bleeding woman, Mark 5. Jesus spoke to a demon-possessed man, Mark 5. He touched lepers, Mark 1. Jesus conversed with a promiscuous woman, John 4. Jesus was all about breaking the exclusive barriers in his time. Jesus was not crucified for being exclusive, for saying, you guys are out, we're in. Jesus was crucified for being too inclusive, and it upset the apple cart. You can't let those people in. You can't talk to those people. That's Jesus. And then what does Jesus think of Nietzsche's critique of religion? Power and abuse? Look at Matthew 20. Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. It's not a power grab. Jesus had all the power in the world, and he gave that up. He emptied himself of that and became a man and died for us and served the least of these. It wasn't a power grab. He wasn't doing that to gain power. He, he was born in a manger in Bethlehem. If he wanted to, to come in power, he would have came with chariots and parades and thunder and lightning and fire from heaven. No, he comes humbly. Jesus goes on to teach throughout his ministry that the greatest among us is the servant, 
The first will be last, the last will be first. So all of these critiques on religion by the atheistic philosophers are actually in agreement with the teachings of Jesus. That religion, for Freud, Marx, and Nietzsche, the religion that they condemn, Jesus also condemns. In my own interactions with people who don't believe in God, they'll often say, I don't believe in a God who, fill in the blank. I don't believe in a God who does nothing about the suffering in the world, who doesn't care about children dying on the other side of the planet. I don't believe in a God who hates gay people. I don't believe in a God who shows love to some people um, and, sends them to, uh, and sends others to eternal conscious torment because he doesn't really love them. And you know what I tell those people? I don't believe in that God either. And they're shocked. Religiosity is about righteousness, exclusion, and power. And Jesus is about authenticity, radical love, and service above self. Now, let's flesh this out a little bit more in the teachings of Jesus. Maybe the best illustration for the heart of this sermon um, is the interaction with a teacher of the law in Luke chapter 10. Very familiar, famous passage. We'll read verse 25. It says this, On one occasion... An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Then verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, he wanted to justify what he already believed. He wanted to justify what he wanted to be true. And so he asked the question, so who's my neighbor? In other words, okay, Jesus, I understand this care about others thing, but what are the limits of my caring? When can I quit? You see, God wants obedience and we want options. He says, love your neighbor. And we're like, define neighbor. (laughs) The first part of the greatest command, right? Love the Lord your God. Yes, heart, soul, mind, strength. Yes, amen. Gave his only son, amen. Love others. Wait, 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 wait. Who do you mean by others? Not them, right? We are often like that expert in the law trying to reduce God's commands to something that we can live with. We think loving our neighbor means people who are going to love us and do nice things back to us. That's not what God means. Verse 30, and now here's Jesus kind of explaining it a little bit more. You may recognize this story, the Good Samaritan. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. The priest and the Levite. A Levite is, is, is someone who worked within the temple, um, took care of a lot of the priestly things. Priests were Levites. Uh, not all Levites were priests. But they were holy men. They were the religious leaders. Two of them walked by a man beaten up on the side of the road. They crossed by on the other side. Now, according to the letter of the law, those guys did the right thing. What do you mean? Well, as a priest... You're not able to touch blood, or you'll be un, uh, ceremonially un, unclean, and you can't go work in the temple. 
you're not able to go help other people that way. Um, and also, if he's dead, he looks dead. If you touch a dead thing, you're banned from the temple for even longer. And you have to do all these different ritual washings to become clean again. And so by the letter of the law, these guys did the right thing. They can go perform. They, they can avoid this disgusting mess right here and go on doing their religious duties and have a clear conscience because they're obeying the letter of the law. Can you see how blindly following rules doesn't make us more spiritual? It actually makes us monsters. When we're lost in religious activity, we miss mercy and compassion that we can be showing to the hurting all around us. We can be right, all the while being so very wrong. Do you know people like this? It's that religious spirit that it creeps up in all of us. That's what religiosity does to us. Consumed with being right and missing an opportunity to show God's love right in front of us. If your religion doesn't have room to become ritually unclean in the name of love, you're not following the same Jesus of the Bible. The religion of the priest and the Levite led them to inaction. The religion of Jesus leads us to action. The priest and Levite grabbed coffee afterwards at the Bethlehem Starbucks, the Jericho Starbucks. And they probably had religious conversations. What's this world coming to? Somebody needs to do something about just people getting beat up on the road, leaving someone for dead. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. They may have felt bad for the man. And that's us. We feel bad. One of the ways we excuse ourselves from doing good is by feeling bad. We're feeling bad when we should be doing good. If your Bible reading isn't making you more Christ-like, more loving, more merciful, more grace-filled, you're doing it wrong. If you're reading the Bible and you're becoming more judgmental, more hateful, more self-righteous, more exclusive, you're doing it wrong. And you're killing us. You're killing our witness. This issue of religiosity, it's... It's the thing that's most destructive to Christianity. I would say this. The greatest enemy of Christianity isn't secularism, atheism, or Islam. It's bad Christianity. That's the, mo the greatest enemy to us. And it's inside all of us. In 2004, there's a movie directed by M. Night Shyamalan uh, by the name of The Village. Anybody see it? The Village? Okay. Spoiler alert. Okay, if you're listening online, I will give away the ending of this movie in the next 60 seconds. Uh, he's famous for these tricky endings, right? He's the guy who did The Sixth Sense, and, you know, Bruce Willis, he was dead the whole time. And if you don't know that, go back to 99, you know? Um, <laughs> but it depicts this community of 19th century villagers afraid of monsters in the surrounding woods. Something terrible is out there, and the town is the only safe place. Kids aren't allowed to go beyond a certain distance. Sometimes they put an animal out there to kind of appease the monster. Sometimes the people will get glimpses of the monsters in the woods. And it turns out, it's all fake. There's nothing out in the woods. It's actually a community of adults, and it's, uh, they've, they've left the outside world to create their own secluded society. They invent the myth of the monsters to keep everybody in, to keep everybody safe from the bad things that are out there. They even dress up as the monsters themselves to make the kids believe the lie. And here's the kicker. It's not 19th century. It's present day. Bam. Blew your mind. 
Sometimes I think the church today is operating under this, a similar set as adults in the village, right? So we're so afraid of the world. So we set up these rules, these boundaries, these lines in order to safeguard our worldview. Don't go out there. Don't go talk to those people. Don't be friends with those people. Stay here with us. You're safe. They're monsters. But what the movie shows us is that in order to protect the people, the parents had to become the monsters themselves. It's true for us. They had to become that which would keep people in fear. Perhaps this is why so many people use the word escaping when they leave religion behind. This is not the way of Jesus. This is the way of religion. And you guys know the rest of the story. Good Samaritan, right? Samaritan goes by. He's the bad guy in the story. He's, if, 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 if you were in ancient Hebrew and you read the word Samaritan, you'd be like, boo. And then now he's the one who gets off of his donkey, takes care of the person, picks them up, puts him on the donkey, takes him to an inn, pays for him to get well, and checks on him later. That's religion. Even though the other two religious leaders passed on the other side of the road, this Samaritan did right. The, the Levite and the priest had the right answers, the right religious outfit. But they didn't have the right religion. Uh, just this past week, I, uh, uh, Sarah and I were at home with the kids, and, uh, and Dex, I, I, I got brought, brought Dex in the attic, and he just, like, loved, like, checking out the stuff in the attic, and we found this old chief's pillow that filled, like, the tiniest little, tiniest little beads ever, like beanbag beads, and he's like, Dad, it, it's got a little hole, and the beads kind of start falling out. He goes, that'd be cool if, like, we open it. I go, that's kind of fun. Okay, that'd be fun. Um, so, Let's do that in the bathtub near bath time because those little beads will go everywhere. So I keep doing whatever I'm doing stuff. Next thing I know, he's got a bowl out on the kitchen counter and he's dumping all these in. Scissors had already gone on the pillow and they're flying everywhere. So I, I was very sweet and kind. <laughs> I'm being facetious for those who are listening online. Um, and I kind of went crazy. And, uh, and then, so he goes upstairs and he's upset and, and, I, and then now I'm dragging all these things upstairs. He's dragging, as he goes upstairs, all of them are flying all over the place. Okay. It looked like Narnia, like just snow everywhere in our house because of him. So then like an hour goes by and Sarah talks to him and kind of, you know, helps him out and understands why this was a big deal. And, and then hour goes by. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of getting their, their bath ready and uh, getting their beds ready and stuff. And uh, I hear a thump in, in, in our room and uh, Dex had pushed Ivy off the bed. So then I, I go up there and I go, did you just throw your sister off the bed? And he goes, yes. And I go, I can't believe you did that. And he goes, what have I done? What have I done? <laughs> and... and I go, what do you mean? What are you, why are you saying that? And he goes, all these bad choices I'm making. What have I done? And then now, as this is all happening, Sarah's downstairs and she's getting Dex one of his favorite desserts, which is a spoonful of frosting. So he's in the hallway saying, what have I done? And he's beating himself up through these, all these consequences. And then Sarah walks up and she holds the spoon out. And he goes, is that for me? And she goes, he goes, is it because you love me? 
even though I make naughty choices? And she goes, yes, and he gives her this big hug, and he puts that ice in his mouth, and it was just this unbelievable moment. It really was. That's grace. We all rejoiced with her grace. It was a beautiful moment. Such is the way of Jesus, always interrupting the consequences of our own bad choices with grace. I'll invite Noe and the band to come up. In religiosity, everything has to fit into the system. You know what doesn't fit into religious systems? Grace. Because it's against all the rules. Dex deserved consequences. He didn't, shouldn't get a spoonful of frosting after he pushed his sister off the bed and disobeyed his father. But because it's not fair, it's scandalous. God will always transcend our religious systems that we try and squeeze him into. He's always interrupting everything with grace. So my challenge for us this morning, would you pull out your phones? We did this last week. You could email the word religiosity to prodigal unsubscribe at mail.com. And once again, you're not going to be getting 40,000 emails. You'll get one. Encouraging you, giving you some practical stuff and some verses about unsubscribing to religiosity and subscribing to love. Subscribing to love. We're going to close our time this morning with communion. And communion is a sacred symbol from the early church. And it's Jesus subverting it. We already, we already mentioned the story of the Levite and the priest passing by the other side. Why? Because there was blood and because it, it was dead. He, he, he looked dead. So you don't touch. You don't eat blood. And here, Jesus gives us this symbol to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. The very thing you shouldn't do according to the letter of the law, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus redeemed and subverted the law and fulfilled it. It always pointed to Jesus. It always pointed to his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. So God, as we take the elements, I pray, Jesus, that you, that you would move in our hearts, that you would draw us out of religiosity, that you would draw us out of exclusion, you would draw us out of self-justification, and that we would go and take care of widows and orphans in their distress. We would keep ourselves from being abstained from the world and its desires. That we would be a force of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of good. So God, help us to serve others. And God, as we take these elements, the bread and the cup, May we remember your sacrifice for us, that you emptied yourself, that you did not show up in demand. You came to woo us, to win our hearts. We thank you for that, God. We love you in Jesus' name.